Have you ever seen a situation where religious rules, laws, or commandments were given priority over compassion? Maybe you've been the victim of this, or maybe you've been guilty of this. Maybe you got so focused on what the scripture said that you lost sight of who it was for. Or maybe you lost sight of why it was written and who was behind the writing of it. Maybe you got so focused on the speck in someone else's eye, or maybe a group's eye, that you couldn't see the log or maybe the logging truck in your own eye. Then we read the accounts of Jesus' life, the Gospels, and we quickly realize that Jesus did not put rules, laws, or commandments as a higher priority than people. And that's what we're going to talk about today. We're in part four of this series. Uh, Jesus is known for many things, some true and some not so true. We're looking at some of what Jesus is also known for, and sometimes what we need to be reminded of. The past few weeks, we've been looking at John's account of Jesus' life. We've been talking about one of the important distinctions about believing in Jesus, that there is evidence to support what we read about Jesus, that John would document all of these events, these miracles, these signs that really pointed him and other people to Jesus' identity, that he really was God's son, that John put his faith in Jesus because of what John saw, what he heard, and what he experienced. John chapter 20, verse 30 said this, Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book, but these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. That we want you to know what happened with Jesus, but we also hope that by knowing these events and signs, you could put your faith in Jesus and find life because of him. That John wrote his whole account around seven signs or miracles of Jesus. That Jesus' miracles weren't really random acts of kindness, but they were signs pointing to God. And these signs were what helped John arrive at the same conclusion that we hope you arrive at. That Jesus is our Savior, the Son of God. That before this, Jesus has been north of Jerusalem and he, he just did this amazing miracle or sign that a government official who had only heard of Jesus comes to Jesus. And the official says to Jesus, my son is sick, come home to heal him. And Jesus tells the official, no, you should just go home, your son is already healed. And that government official had to, had to make the same decision that we have to make. He had to decide if he would trust Jesus, even though he probably only heard about him. The official goes home and his son is healed. So today we're going to be in John chapter 5 if you want to follow along in the Bible app. If you don't have the Bible app, head to bible.com app. You can also see the notes and verses by clicking the more menu option in the bottom right corner, then click events and you can find our church. We'll also have the notes and verses on the screen as well. John chapter 5, beginning in verse 1. It says this, Afterward, Jesus returned to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish holy days. Inside the city, near the Sheep Gate, was the pool of Bethesda, with five covered porches. Crowds of sick people, blind, lame, or paralyzed, lay on the porches. That this was the most desperate group of people, because in ancient times, doctors were scarce, and doctors also didn't always have the most accurate information. And part of the reason for that was that in this time period, Rome actually had a law that you couldn't examine a dead body. So medical science wasn't really science yet at this time. So most people depended on the temples and superstition. That the temples, maybe the gods would do something for you by accident. Uh, maybe the priests would have mercy on you. And also superstition. And this situation that we're going to read about today hinges on the superstition part. And the legend was that at this pool of water, every once in a while, an angel would show up and stir the water. And then they thought that if you were the first one in, you would be healed. And this exact pool has actually been excavated by researchers, and they found that there's a natural spring at the bottom. So what would probably happen is occasionally the spring would bubble up, and when the sick people around it would see the surface of the water disturbed for seemingly no reason, 
they assumed it was an angel. And so they would get in however they could. Now, you can probably imagine the chaos given this crowd of people, blind, handicapped, severely handicapped, or paralyzed people. And Jesus would walk into this area that even healthy people in the ancient world knew they should avoid. It probably smelled horrible. Uh, people were probably brought there and then they would just lay there all day. And then if they had someone to help them, they might go home or get taken home at night. There was probably an official maybe who would sort of walk around and, and occasionally go and find the dead bodies and take them away. And Jesus goes to this area. What does Jesus going to this pool tell us about Jesus' priorities? Continuing on the story, John chapter 5, verse 5. One of the men lying there had been sick for 38 years. When Jesus saw him and knew he had been ill for a long time, he asked him that Jesus decides this is an opportunity for a sign, one of those signs we've been talking about. And he starts by asking him a sort of a strange question. When Jesus saw him and he knew that he'd been ill for a long time, he asked him, would you like to get well? And part of the reason he asked this strange question is probably because he's not going to impose his will on this guy. He's not going to walk up to him and just heal him whether he wants to be healed or not. So Jesus asked the man if he wants to get well. And as it turns out, this guy really wants to get well. So imagine you're looking in the eyes of the Son of God thinking he's just some guy. And so you say this, I can't, sir, the sick man said, for I have no one to put me in the pool when the water bubbles up. Someone else always gets there ahead of me. So while he's lying there, someone always beats him into the water. And again, the sick man doesn't realize he is talking to the Son of God. And so Jesus says to this one man, verse 8, stand up. Now the Greek sort of indicates an idea of wake up or sometimes come back to life or come to life. And what Jesus says next is what made it a sign and not just some random act of kindness, as we're going to see. Verse 8, stand up, pick up your mat, and walk, Jesus said. Now remember, John is sort of dictating this thing, this whole account, to someone to record this story of Jesus. And John is remembering this because this is what he was there for. He was there for this. Verse 9, instantly the man was healed. He rolled up his sleeping mat and began walking. That as this is happening, the religious leaders, though, are, are starting to object and ask questions about this situation. And when Jesus told the man to stand up, pick up his mat, and walk, Jesus sort of whacked a hornet's nest on purpose because this miracle happened on the Sabbath. So the religious leaders, the Pharisees, Sadducees, would sort of walk around on the Sabbath, their holy day, making sure that no one was doing something against the laws of the Sabbath. Again, this is their holy day of the week. And this man was walking around carrying his mat. Possibly he's walking towards the temple, uh, perhaps to give thanks to God for what's happened to him. Because he has had this problem for years, and it's likely been that he hasn't been to the temple since he was a lot younger, maybe even as a child. Verse 10, so the Jewish leaders objected. They said to the man who was cured, think about that for a second, you can't walk on the Sabbath. The law doesn't allow you to carry that sleeping mat. Actually, the law didn't forbid him from carrying the mat. Their tradition would forbid him from carrying the mat. It was called the tradition of the elders or the oral Torah. And the theory was that basically Moses would come down from the mountain with this written law, the Torah, the Ten Commandments, and an oral Torah that couldn't be written down. So Moses would pass this on to Joshua, who would pass it on and on, and eventually to these Pharisees or Jewish leaders. And the Pharisees had all these extra laws, sort of like a fence written around the written law, so that no one would disobey the written law. And in their minds, the oral law had the same authority and culture as the written law. And in this non-written oral law, there were 39 categories of things. Not 39 things, 39 categories of things you could not do on the Sabbath. And one of them was that you could not carry something 
from one place to another. So in their minds, this sick man was violating the fourth commandment of the Ten Commandments. Remember that? Remember to observe the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. But the point of this commandment was to take a break or rest from labor, not to take a break from love. It was to take a break from your occupation. It didn't mean you were supposed to take a break from compassion. And this is what can happen to all religious people when we forget or when we ignore the why behind the what. This is what happens when defending anything takes precedence over the people that the thing claims to serve and defend. This is what happens when embracing any ideology or political system, when anything becomes more important than the people those things were designed to serve and benefit. And it's very difficult to see this in the mirror though, but we all must look in the mirror. We all must be careful. We all must be honest. Because when loving people is no longer your priority, you are at odds with God. When loving people is no longer what's most important to me, I am at odds with God. That everything I do to hurt another person is sin, even if it's defending some sort of spiritual principle. That everything I do that distance another person from God is sin. Everything that gets in the way of someone being treated with dignity is a sin. And the dangerous thing about the scriptures is that you can prove almost any argument you want to with verses from the scriptures if you take them out of context. And Jesus came to remind us of what or who our priority should be. How have you prioritized religious rules, laws, or commandments, or maybe something else, at the expense of a person? The Jewish leader said, you can't work on the Sabbath. The law doesn't allow you to carry that sleeping mat. But he replied, the man who healed me told me, pick up your mat and walk. The sick man sort of looked around for Jesus for a response and sort of the answer to the question, but Jesus has already slipped away through the crowd and so we can't find him. So this man says, the reason that I picked up my mat and walked was not because I was trying to violate the Sabbath. It was because the man who healed me, he asked me to pick up my mat and walk. And so I chose to follow the man who healed me and not follow you guys, you religious leaders, because you've been ignoring me, condemning me, and telling me my whole life that I deserve to lay here for 38 years because either I sinned or my parents sinned. If I was getting what I deserved, then this guy gave me exactly what I did not deserve so yeah, I chose to do what he said to do. Verse 12, who said such a thing as that, those religious leaders demanded? Who is this man who defies the law and the Sabbath? If this man actually healed you, then he defied the law and the Sabbath as well. Because you cannot practice medicine on the Sabbath, unless it was to save a life back then. So he could have just waited one more day to heal you. So give us his name, basically. Verse 13, the man didn't know, for Jesus had disappeared into the crowd. Now, we don't know exactly what the next verse means because scholars sort of differ on it, um, but it's possible that it's just sort of a funny thing that Jesus said. Verse 14, But afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and told him, Now you are well. That the man who was healed still again doesn't know who Jesus is, so this is what he says. But afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and told him, Now you are well, so stop sinning. And the funny part is that Jesus knows that he's being accused of sinning by healing this man on the Sabbath. And not only has this guy probably not done anything wrong to, to become lame or sick, this guy hasn't done anything for 38 years. So what an ironic thing for the religious leaders to accuse him of doing, that you better stop sinning. That theologians, religious scholars, try to identify what sin Jesus is talking about, but maybe it's just a joke that Jesus is giving us. But again, afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and told him, now you are well, so stop sinning, or something even worse may happen to you. Again, I think it's a joke. 
Like, what is the worst thing that could happen to this man? Throw him out of the temple? Well, <laughs> he hasn't been in the temple for a while, maybe even his whole life. How do you punish a man who has been laying on his back for 38 years, but is now healed? It's possible this is just a joke that Jesus has given us. Verse 15, Then the man went and told the Jewish leaders that it was Jesus who had healed him. So the Jewish leaders began harassing Jesus for breaking the Sabbath rules. And in Jesus' defense, he said, My father is, is always working, and so am I. That God doesn't take a day off, I'm just being like God. That God actually violates your version of the Sabbath, doesn't he? And if you needed help on God's Sabbath, if you needed help, God's help on the Sabbath, wouldn't you pray to God and ask him to help you? So I'm just acting like my father. Verse 18, So the Jewish leaders tried all the harder to find a way to kill him. For he not only broke the Sabbath, he called God his father, thereby making himself equal with God. Like, who does he think he is? Which is exactly the question the Jewish leaders are asking. And it's the question that we should all ask as well. That Jesus did these miracles and signs so that people would arrive at the conclusion of who Jesus was without him having to force them into the answer. Who do you think you are? Making yourself equal to God. Who would do that? Verse 19, Jesus explained, I tell you the truth, the Son can do nothing by himself. He does only what he sees the Father doing. Whatever the Father does, the Son does also. And this is an extraordinary statement from Jesus. He's saying 21st century people, 15th century people, 3rd century people, everyone from any, any regeneration, age, race, and language. Do you know what God is really like? Because figuring out God can be very confusing, right? Do you sort of look into outer space? Do you look at nature? Do you look at, within yourself? How do we know what God is like? And Jesus would say, watch me. Do you want to know what God's priorities really are? Watch me, he would say. Do you want to know what God would actually say? Listen to me. Do you want to know what God would actually do? Jesus would say, follow me. Verse 24, I tell you the truth, those who listen to my message and believe in God who sent me have eternal life. They will never be condemned for their sins, but they have already passed from death into life. And then he tells people like me, and maybe he tells people like some of you, why we sometimes confuse the priority of religious rules, commandments, or the scriptures. Because verse 39, you search the scriptures because you think they give life, give you eternal life. But the scriptures point to me. That there is no life in the scriptures apart from them pointing to Jesus. Verse 40, yet you refuse to come to me to receive this life. Basically, you have opted for the written over the living. You have, you have chosen the interpretation or your interpretation over the living demonstration. And Jesus says, up until now, all you had was text, stories, wisdom, and promises. But I'm standing in front of you. I'm the living commentary of everything you've read and heard about God. It all points to me, Jesus would say. So does your version of anything, maybe it's religion, politics, whatever, does your version of anything get in the way of prioritizing people that God loves? Does your version of Christianity get in the way of prioritizing people that God loves? And on top of that, what are your priorities? Do you have any different priorities than Jesus? What, what if you open up your calendar app right now? Would that show that your priorities line up with Jesus or something else? Uh, what if you open up your browser history right now? Does that show that your priority is people or something else? Maybe trying to prove you are right or that other people are wrong at times. What if you open up your messages, your email, your text, your chat, comment sections? Does that show that your priority is people or something else? Would that show that you love those around you or that you just cause problems for people? That our priority as Jesus followers is not things but people. Is your life reflecting that priority? In our world filled with all kinds of morals, ideas, philosophies, tensions, political views, 
In our world filled with differing priorities all around us, God made it simple by showing us that Jesus is known for many things, some important and some not so important. That Jesus is also a reminder of our priority. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for these signs. Thank you for these stories that we read about you doing these miracles. And they weren't just some random acts of kindness or just showing off, but you had a purpose that you wanted us to see something about them. So God, for this miracle, this sign that we read about today, uh, would you help us to see your priority, that you prioritize people over anything, even any rule or religious rule that's supposed to sort of honor you. God, would you help us to never prioritize a thing over a person? Would you help us to look at our lives, looking at our calendar, looking at our chats, looking at our browser history, looking at our relationships and the most recent examples around us? And would you help us to honestly answer the question, do we prioritize anything or even any religious rule or law over people? Because it sure seems like you prioritize the people. So God, would you help us to examine that? Would you help us to be honest with ourselves and God, would you show us? Would you speak to us clearly? God, would you give us the wisdom to know what to do with what we've heard? And God, would you also give us the courage and the power to actually go and do it? It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.